finding the greatest purpose brings the greatest life. Thank you for listening to the Cross Point Fellowship Podcast. This series is called Cross Point Fit. Um, all right, right, right. All right. Is anybody here today? Anybody, anybody here? Like, I'm wondering if anybody is actually here. It's dreary outside, and I think everybody is also just taking on the personality of outside. And it's just all like, just chill. So, all right. So, today, Super Bowl, Sunday, Seattle Seahawks, New England Patriots. So, some of you could care less. Some of you could care (laughs) a little bit. Some of you care a lot. But you know something, you know something. Besides those two teams, besides those two teams, the team that has, the team that has more, um, well, they're responsible more than any other team, more than any other team, for those two being in the Super Bowl is the Kansas City Chiefs. Amen. D-Day. D-Day. Probably the most important day in modern world history. Gettysburg. Probably the most important, you can't call it a day, the, the, the most important string of days in U.S. history. We'll get back to those in a moment. We're wrapping up this series called Cross Point Fit. We're, we're taking a look at the fact that we have missions in life, and we go on missions in life. Um, rather, it is a mission to lose weight, get healthy, run a 5K, um, run a marathon, go on military missions. Maybe you've got a special project at work, a mission at work. Every mission that we go out on, that we embark on, we are not ready for the mission when we start. We have to train. We have to get ready for, for the mission. We have to train up for it. Man, if we want to go out and throw tracks out in our neighborhood, we got, we got to train for it. You know, we got, to, we got to flip them out right there, you know, for those drive-by tractings. You know, we've all been on, if you've grown up at, in church at all, we've all been on those drive-by tractings. And, and you've got to train for the mission. And the mission of God is no different. The mission of God is quite simply is advancing the kingdom, advancing the kingdom in areas that, that the kingdom isn't in. And, and, and the good news is about the training of the mission of God is that we get to eavesdrop in on the training that Jesus gave his 12 disciples. Jesus uh, took time aside to make sure he trained his guys for the mission, and we are able to eavesdrop in on the mission. We started with, with, with the vision, with the, with the feeling, with the, with the gut-wrenching, the, the bowel movement that Jesus had. Because that's what the word compassion means in the, in the New Testament. It's, a, it's really literally a movement in the bowels, that, that Jesus had compassion for the people because they were sheep without a shepherd. They were not being led to know God and know the kingdom. See, when, when you're being led to know God and the kingdom, you're being led to life and freedom. And these people were being led to rules and burdens, and they were completely burdened. And he saw it, but they were streaming to him because he gave something different. He gave hope and life and freedom. And then with the, with the, with the mission, you've got to have, not only have a vision, but you've got to have a strategy. And his strategy was to, was to empower these 12 guys, his disciples, to go out and make kingdom advancing decisions. These 12 guys, they weren't trained religiously. These were guys that nobody would pick to, 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 to make a religious difference. But he picked them and he empowered them and he sent them out to make a, a difference, a difference of advancing the kingdom. And then we looked at tactics. 
And the biggest tactic, there are seven different tactics we look at, but the biggest tactic that we, we need to have in our mind, in our heart, in our gut as we move out is this, God is close. See, that's the message. That's the message that we have. God is close. We have no other message other than God is close. That makes it easier. That actually makes it easier to be able to tell people because we're not focused on you are bad. We're focused on God is close. God is close to you. And last week, we saw that, that with any mission comes difficulty. There comes difficulty. There's, there's going to be times, there's going to be moments that, that it's going to be difficult. And the number one thing that we kind of glean from that difficulty is, is to separate the difficulty from God's love, that he values us. He isn't just our king. He isn't just our commanding officer. He's also our dad. And when we're getting orders from our, our, our marching orders from our dad, not just our commanding officer, but our dad, see, everything is different because, yes, it's a mission. And yes, we may give our life for the mission, but he values us. He loves us. He cares for us. And in this last week, Jesus talks about turning points. Turning points. See, turning points are moments of truth that we find, we being an individual going for a mission or a group of people going for a mission, that, that, that it's a moment of truth that we decide, hey, look, the reward is greater than the risk. The reward is greater than the risk. The Patriots and the Seahawks, the Chiefs, beat both of them this season. Not just be both of them, but if you look over the schedule of both of their seasons, there was a turning point in their season, both of them. Seattle, they haven't lost since. The Patriots, after Kansas Kansas City beat them, it was about, oh, they're awful, they're horrible, Belichick and Brady, they're done. But they're in the Super Bowl. There's a turning point in their season. Both won the the number one seed in their respective conference. And if you look at the schedule, that was the turning point. D-Day, the turning point in World War II. Up until that point, it was pretty sketchy. But that was the turning point. Gettysburg. Up until that point, things were pretty sketchy. But turning point. Have you had a turning point in your life? Have you ever turned, have you had a turning point in your life where the reward of the kingdom is greater than the risk? Jesus talks to his 12 disciples about the risk and the reward of the kingdom and wants for them there to be a turning point. I want for you to, there to be a turning point this morning. Taking a look at Matthew chapter 10. Starting in verse 34, of course, we're going to throw the scriptures up on the screen and smartphone and, and, and uh, the Bible app on your tablet and smartphone. You can follow along on there. I, I believe that I put it in uh, today. Is it in there? Those of you that follow along that way, it's in there. All right, sweet. Um, I try and do those on Wednesday, so by Sunday, I've forgotten if I have or if I haven't, and so I don't remember because I've slept since then. Um, Matthew chapter 10, he's going to conclude this training session with his guys by talking about the risk and reward for the kingdom. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And for some of you, you may be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. He's known as the Prince of Peace. He's known as the Prince of Peace. How on earth can now the Prince of Peace end up saying, 
I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And then just a few chapters before in, in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. But here Jesus is like, I'm not a peacemaker. I've come to bring a sword. What is he doing? What is he talking about? Those of you with the English background, this is called extended exaggeration, right? He's proving a truthful point, but he's using exaggeration to teach it. And we never do that, do we? I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, right? Truthful point, exaggeration. I'd hope you wouldn't. And you'd get some people in here quite mad at you if you did. But what Jesus is getting to his boys is this. Look, if you follow me, if you follow me, it's not all going to be easy. I've tried to make it simple for you, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to come with difficulty. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And you're going to experience that sword. Not everybody's going to be like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Some people are going to be, bring a sword when you show up. It's not going to be easy. And we talked about this at, at Thursday night in our small group about how so often our Christian culture says, just follow Jesus and everything's going to be awesome. You're going to trample through the fields of lilies and everybody's going to love you and everything's going to go right and you're going to win the state championship because you follow Jesus. That's like thinking that there's, there's a world where the sky is pink and rainbows are everywhere and there's pots of gold at, every, at the end of every rainbow and every rainbow is coming out of a unicorn's butt. Like how I use extended exaggeration to show extended... It's not real! And this is what Jesus is being real with his guys about. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. It's a risk to do this. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Which so that you might go... Jesus, that's not real difficult. Like, what, what are you talking about? Your enemies will be in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life and you will lose it, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Now in this day, the, 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 the family, the family, this was the highest value of their day. Like their immediate family wasn't what we think of immediate family of, of mother, father, kids living in the home. Their immediate family was their family tree. Everybody would live in the same home. And if they were decently okay, well off, they had three rooms. And one of them was for the animals, the real animals, not, not, not the people animals. Imagine your whole family tree living in the same house with three rooms. That's nice, isn't it? But what he's, what he's doing, what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is telling their, his guys is this. Look, you think, you find life from your family. 
This is the highest thing you could ever possibly do. And if you follow me, and this is the same today in the same region of the world, if you follow me, your family's probably going to disown you. Your family's going to think you're nuts. Your family might even have a funeral for you because they think you're dead even though you're living. So if you decide that your family is more important than me, that's fine. If you want to try to cling to your life, what you think brings you life, you're going to lose life. You're going to lose it. But see, it's not the same for us today. Maybe, maybe, maybe the sins of, you know, if you love your, your, your son or your daughter more than me, we'll get into that in the next series. But overall, family isn't the highest value. It's not what we, what we think brings us life. For the adults in the room, for the parents and such in the room, what brings us life is what called the suburban dream. Have a nice life, have a nice family, have a nice home, have a nice, nice cars, have, have a nice job with a nice paycheck and an ever-increasing paycheck so I can have ever-increasing possessions and have a nice church. A nice, safe life. That's our, that's our suburban dream so that we can retire and do nothing. Jesus like, whatever you think, whatever you think, whatever you cling to that you think will bring you life, if you want to cling to that, that's fine. But it's not going to bring you life. For those of you that are a little bit younger and the suburban dream doesn't say anything to you, maybe it's your freedom, maybe it's your independence, maybe, maybe it's the high that you get, maybe it's the, maybe it's the relationships, maybe it's the, maybe it's the sexual encounters. I don't know. But there's something that we, that we have as an idol in our life, that we cling to, that we think brings us life. He said, it, it, it's not. It's not. But if you decide to lose your life, if you decide to lose the thing that you think brings you life, if you decide that that is, as Paul said, is rubbish, actually it's a much more stronger word than that, Poo-poo. Stronger word than that, even. I find all of this rubbish for the sake of pursuing Christ, for the sake of the life. And Jesus, Jesus tells us that, that there is life if we actually give up the life that we think we will get. There's life. And he, and he categorizes this life in John chapter 10 as abundant life everlasting life. We're not talking about one day in heaven. I'm talking about right now. That if you stop clinging to the life that you, you, you think you'll have by chasing something, you'll find an abundant life. And see, in this moment, you know, we're all in church. Like, like, like this moment, we, we're, we're reading this and we're, 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 we're considering this and it's like, man, we'd be crazy not to. We'd be crazy not to risk giving up our suburban dream for the life that God gives. But when we walk out of here, it's so easy. You know, the pressures, every commercial is telling us what the suburban dream will bring for us. Today at the Super Bowl, right? 
Super Bowl of commercials as well. What Doritos and Budweiser and GoDaddy all believe will bring you life. Pursue that. But in this moment, it seems crazy that we would actually pursue that. For a moment, for a moment, students, teens, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the risk. Because God has it in our development that our teenage years is the years that we actually seek risk the most. We seek risk the most in our teenage years. It is a natural part of development. It's finding our independence. It's finding our guardrails in life. In fact, when, when I trained for student ministry, youth ministry, that's one of the five pillars of youth ministry that, that, a professor, that a professor said, every youth ministry needs to have this, risk and challenges. Parents, have you ever asked the question, what were you thinking? Probably had risk tied with that. And parents, we, we forget, right? Because we've been asked that same thing too. And even still to this day, when you are asked that question, you see how it might have been silly, but at the same time, you're like, it made perfect sense to me. Still to this day, right? It made perfect sense to me. And then you ask your kids, what were you thinking? Thinking what didn't make perfect sense to you will make perfect, doesn't, shouldn't make perfect sense to them, but it makes perfect sense to them. Look, it's all behind the risk aspect. All behind the risk aspect. Everything that we would consider would be teenage problems. It has risk behind it. The thrill of the risk. Teenagers, you, teenagers, will pursue risk. Jesus, it's circumstantial, but Jesus was probably talking to 11 out of 12 teenagers here. And then Peter was the only one that wouldn't have been a teenager. And we know that <clears throat> that brother liked to risk. I mean, he walked on water, right? He was talking to 11 out of 12 teenagers going, guess what? You get to risk your life doing this and your parents will think you're crazy. To which teenagers go, really? Right? Really? And then I might even get to, I mean, you just said I might get to tell my parents off, right? Like, this is awesome. Look, 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 look. We can either, we can either say, okay, we have the greatest risk possible. Advance the kingdom. And allow teens to do that in an environment in which we disciple them to grow through that. Or we can say, stop risking your life. And then they can go hide and risk their life apart from our direction. We have a choice. They real risk. It is a part of teenage development. Which one will we adults choose to do? 
give them an outlet or say stop risking because they will find risk one way or another guaranteed guaranteed maybe for some of your kids the risk is why would you ever bungee jump from the top of your roof I don't get that or it could go from there go from there here, Jesus has given us the greatest risk, the greatest mission. And he said this to probably a, at least a handful of teens, if not almost all of them. And teens that risk it all for the kingdom. That's when we see revival, actually. But why do we risk? Why do we risk? Because there's a reward that's greater. There's a reward that's greater than the risk. See, for Super Bowl teams, you know, multi-million dollar, I mean, they're making multi-millions of dollars, but you still hear them say, man, we sacrificed for each other. We gave up our life for each other. Why? For the reward of getting the chance to play in the Super Bowl. For the reward for, for, for winning the Super Bowl. D-Day. Guys gave up their life. It was a suicide mission, right? Gave up their life. Why? For the reward of defeating psycho dictators and bringing freedom to people that lost their freedom. Gettysburg. I believe that it's still considered the bloodiest day in American history or days of American history. Why? Well, to bring freedom to people that never had it or lost it. So what's the reward of the kingdom? What's the reward that, that when we rest, when we say, I am not going to pursue what I think brings me life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue the kingdom and I'm going to give my life for the kingdom. But what's the reward? Well, well we're used to, well, it's heaven, right? But you, yes. But that's not what Jesus says here. That's not what Jesus dangles out there as the reward. He's actually already given one reward, life, right? Abundant life. The life that only God can give. But he goes into a deeper reward. Anyone who receives you receives me. Verse 40. And anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if, you're, if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Wait, wait, what's the reward here? Like, we get a cup of cold water? Woohoo! No, 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 no. Catch it early. Catch it early. Anyone who receives you, receives me. Anyone who receives me, receives the Father. What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing? I want you, everybody, 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 do this, do this. Just, just appease me, okay? Do this. Everybody, look down. Look down. Just look down. Look down. What do you see? 
Legs, right? Let's not make this harder than what it's supposed to be. Legs. You see legs. You see your body. When Jesus looks down at his church, what does he see? Legs, arms, his body. The reward, the reward that Jesus is talking about here is being completely identified with God. That's the reward. Being completely identified with God. That's what actually gets us to heaven, is being completely identified with God. He's saying, right now, right here, if you hear and follow me, if you give up your life to hear and follow me, you are completely identified with me. You are my body. When I look at you, I look at my body. Completely. You might be like, "Ah, I don't know, hold on a second here. I mean, I've got this and that and the other. I mean, would God really identify himself with me? And I haven't been to religious school and seminary, and I don't, I'm not a pastor. I'll never be a pastor. I mean, does God really identify himself with me? So I was reading this, the passage this week. This kind of stood out to me. There's a, there's a progression in here. I, I, I think that Jesus was intentional at, at getting a message. See, that when we stopped this la- the last passage, the last passage that we stopped at, we stopped at an apex. He's like, give up your life, your entire life for me. Now, he said that that's a pretty high bar, right? Give up your life. He doesn't lower that bar in one aspect, but he does lower that bar in another aspect because people will naturally go, I can't do that. And in fact, it's those that that say, yeah, baby, I can do that. I'm here for you. I'm here, man. Peter, Peter, right? He's like, hey, Jesus, you're not going to die. I'm right here with you, man. I'll take care of you. and I'll never, I'll die right alongside with you if that's what it takes. What did Jesus say? Um, About that. You're going to deny me three times before the sun rises again. No way, Jesus. Then what do we do in our youth revival stuff? Who will die for Jesus and get them all piled up, riled up and stuff and blah, blah, blah. We don't know. We don't know. So Jesus actually kind of lowers the bar here. See the progression, prophet, righteous person, disciple, child. I think what he's saying is, well, a prophet, sure, he gets a reward, and anybody that accepts a prophet, they would get a reward. Yeah, great, but I'm not a prophet. Okay? Righteous person. Well, yeah, sure, righteous people will get a reward, and those that accept righteous people, sure, they'll get a reward, but man, Jesus, you know, I'm not righteous. Okay? Disciple. Sure, disciples will get a reward, and disciples will get those that accept disciples will get a reward. But man, I'm not—I'm not a perfect disciple. I'm not—I'm not—I'm not good at that. How about how about this? Child of God, you'd be a child. You'd be a child. See the progression that he's going on. We're going, you don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to be a righteous person. You don't have to be a disciple. Can you be a child of God? Because a child of God is the same as a disciple, is the same as a righteous person, 
is the same as a prophet. See what he's doing? Yeah, sure, it's give up your life. But what he's saying is, if you give up your life, you're a child of God. That's all I'm talking about here. That's it. Are you willing to be a child of God? But, 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 but what about that give up your life thing and take a boy? Well, can, I really, can I really do that? See, again, he hits the apex and then he comes down from that. Did you catch that at the end? Anybody that gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, as the translation I use says, but really to a child. You're giving it as if it's giving it to me. Cup of cold water. What is that? It's a pretty insignificant sacrifice, right? Cup of cold water. A child. Child in Jesus' day, I mean, they were the lowest in the totem pole. I mean, they're, they're, adults wouldn't pay any attention to them. Jesus did, but, but, but in society, they were the most insignificant person in society. So what he's saying here is this. Are you willing to give up a seemingly insignificant sacrifice for the most seemingly of insignificant people? See, that's what I mean by giving up your life. Because we'll never take a bullet for Jesus if we're not willing to do the small stuff. In a lot of ways, it's easier to take a bullet than do the small stuff. Because that requires daily sacrifice, ongoing sacrifice, continued sacrifice. Continued sacrifice is harder than one-time sacrifice, right? Hard. But it all comes back to the reward of being completely identified with Jesus. That's the reward that he wants us to see and, and, and chase after, of being completely identified with him. But maybe you're wondering, like, did the disciples really find rewards? Like when, 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 they were, when they were there on earth, did they find rewards? Did, they, did this actually come to fruition? Or is this some nice little pie in the sky deal that Jesus dangled out there? But they didn't really see. Talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Matthew chapter 10 and Mark chapter 6 are parallel chapters. They tell the same story from two different, uh, or two different sets of eyes. And Mark chapter 6 connects the dots a little bit closer than Matthew 10 because it takes a few chapters for Matthew to get back to the, the, the thread of the story, the timeline of the, of the story, whereas Mark goes straight through the timeline of, of the story. So Mark chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told them all they had done and thought. This is, the same, this is when Jesus was sending them out, the 12, out two by two, trying them all. When they came back, they came back like, man, we saw this and we did this and we taught this and this was amazing. You know, the debrief. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Notice this, sacrifice, sacrificing our life 
rest is still a part of this. We're going to go through seasons. And in fact, now in the New Testament, you never actually even see the concept of Sabbath day ever come back out. You just see the concept of rest come out. He tries to get them away for a little bit of R&R. All the people are coming and streaming to them. He said this because there are so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. So they left by a boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. So Jesus is like, let's get away, let's go, let's rest, let's debrief, let's, 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 let's recharge our batteries, let's go find some place to eat, let's get away from the crowd, let's go across the lake, and we'll just chill over there. So some people saw them get in the boat, start heading across the lake. They're all running around the lake to beat them to there. And they beat him. And they get there. And, and, and Jesus and the disciples look out. Like, let's not spiritualize this. Let, you know, the disciples were boneheads just like us. What was their first reaction? Oh, crap. <laughs> we're supposed to get away from these people. Now, they, they followed us. What are we going to... And Jesus, his first reaction was he had compassion on them. He started teaching them, and the day went by, and they got to the end of the day, and Jesus turned to Philip and said, what are we going to do about all these people that are hungry? And then what happened? Feeding of the 5,000, 5,000 men. Directly tied. They went out, the crowd, because they went out, the crowd gathered an even greater number. What was the reward? Well, first of all, they got to see non-fans stream to God, right? They got to see 15,000 people stream to Jesus. What was the reward? Well, they got to be identified with Jesus in the same boat with him. They were together with him. He was trying to get away with them. They got to see one of the greatest miracles in the New Testament. I think personally, I'd rather try and see, I'd rather see this miracle than probably any of the rest of them. Like, how did that happen? Like, did the bread just like boop, come back? Or what's going on? They got to see a miracle. They got rewarded. They got, to, they got to see abundant life. I mean, I mean the, the, the bread kept coming back. Abundant life. They got to see it all. They got to see all the rewards. But just like you and me, they missed it in the moment, right? They missed it. Missed it. But also, a guy by the name of Paul who went around and planted churches. This is what he said in Colossians 1.29. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I struggle and I work so much that the only way I do this is by the strength of God. Something that we read this week in 2 Timothy is he told Timothy, I'm pouring myself out as a drink offering. I am completely used up for the sake of God and his kingdom. But why? For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. His reward was seeing non-fans stream to God. Gentiles stream to God. But in our vernacular, it would be non-fans. Where's the reward Paul was working for? 
And he understood the identity of Christ. He understood, he understood the life that Christ gave. He decided that the reward was worth the risk of pouring his life out. But there was another time Jesus sent out disciples. Instead of 12, this time it was 72. It was 72. And he sent them out in the same manner, two by two. And when they came back, man, they were pumped. They were excited. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. So excited. So much stuff happened. It was an awesome mission trip. Yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among the snakes and scorpions and crush them. What? Nothing will injure you. But now he billichecks them. Oh, yeah, it was a good win today, but um, didn't want to get too excited over that. I told my guys that, um, you know, there's another week coming and we got a lot of work to do. Made a lot of mistakes today. But... Don't rejoice because the evil spirits obey you. Don't get too excited over what you just saw. But I want you to rejoice in this. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. All that outward stuff, that's awesome. That's great. But you know what? To every harvest time, there's a winter. And if our rejoicing was, is only tied up in the harvest time in the winter what do we do we internalize it what's wrong with me jesus said don't 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 rejoice don't rejoice in the harvest time alone in fact don't even rejoice in the harvest time as the external fruit rejoice in this that your names are registered in heaven or another way to put it rejoice that you're completely and totally identified with me Rejoice that you are a child of God. Rejoice that you are loved. Rejoice that you are adopted. Rejoice that you are forgiven. Rejoice that you have been given righteousness. Rejoice that you're completely identified with me. Rejoice in that. Because there will be a winter. And the only thing that will get you through the winter is knowing my name is written in heaven. I am completely identified with Christ. This is a verse that helped us through the 18 months of, of bouncing around, not having a ministry, having a, having a failed church plan on your resume. I mean, try to get a job with that on your resume. Too old to be a youth minister, too young to be a pastor. Every time I'd interview to be a pastor, they'd ask me, you know, why aren't you a youth minister? And every time I interview to be a youth minister, they'd ask me, why, are you a, why aren't you being a pastor? Hundreds of resumes go out with nothing. People say they'll call you back. Still waiting for those calls. The only thing that will get you through is knowing I'm completely identified with Christ. The fruit... That's awesome. And we'll rejoice. The fruit, eh, it's that I'm identified with Christ completely. And look, it's a mindset. We've got to train ourselves to do this. Because what's natural? Rejoice over the fruit, right? That's natural. It's a mindset. 
that we've got we've to transform and discipline ourselves to think about. And see, past the, this past summer, those of you that were with us, we decided, look, we don't know what's going to happen. The risk is that the life of this church could be over. That'll probably happen no matter what. So let's do this. Let's expand for the reward of seeing non-fans come to know Christ. And you know what? Even if this thing doesn't work, you know what? We're child of God. We're children of God. It could be worse. Many of you sign on the dotted line and you decided I'm going to sacrifice along with everybody else. And yeah, sure, we're down today, but man, we've been averaging about 18 people more just by knocking down the wall. But not just any people. Folks that weren't connected with church at all. Folks that were in struggle. Folks that needed to be streamed to God are connecting with God because, because some folks decided, you know what? The reward is worth the risk. Teens, we talked about you for a little bit. Why do, why do we risk in this dangerous behavior? Because the reward is worth it, right? You see the reward is being worth it. But what about the reward of of, of of seeing God do amazing things in your life. Families, it's a risk to say no to the suburban dream. What about the reward of your name being registered in heaven? What about the reward of getting to see more and more people stream to God? What about those rewards? Versus the reward of getting a golden watch and getting to not to do anything for about 20, 30, 40, 50 years till you die. But see, what Jesus said was this. I'm not looking for you to take a bullet today. That's not what I'm looking for you to do. Can you give the seemingly insignificant sacrifice for the seemingly insignificant person or thing can you do that today? See, that's the moment of truth today. For some of you, just because, just because church is this foreign thing to you, just because you, you're coming in and you're just like, I'm not sure about this God thing, I'm not sure about this church thing, coming again next week, that's the sacrifice. So that you can have the reward of connecting again with God. For some of you, maybe it's deciding, look, I am ready to follow Jesus. I am ready for that. Why? For the reward of being completely identified with God. For some of you is, is, the, is the sacrifice of, of, of time to, 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 to read and pray. For the reward of get, letting God fill your cup. For some of you it's the sacrifice of time and, 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 and coming before people in community and being vulnerable with them. It's risking that to come to a small group for the reward of having people challenge and, and encourage you in your faith. For some of you, it's, it's the risk of, 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 of giving financially. Why? For the reward of seeing God's mission advance. For some of you, it's the risk of, 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 of taking on a role to be on a team. Why? 
For the reward is seeing non-fans stream to God through you. We could go on and on and on. But let this, this morning be a turning point for you. A turning point that says the risk is worth the reward. It's worth the reward. There's going to be a few in the back that you can talk to if, 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 if you need to talk with somebody through this. But otherwise, during this reflection time, worship the one. Worship the one that sacrificed for you, that, that has given his holy name to completely identify with you. And pray. Ask God, what's my next step sacrifice? What's my next step sacrifice? Maybe it's seemingly insignificant, but it's still a sacrifice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for sacrificing yourself. I thank you for giving us that as, as, as yes, an example, but also as, as our um, atonement of, our, of, of you're our substitute. Lord, I just pray that you will move in our hearts and our lives that today is a turning point for some of us. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be earth-shattering. It doesn't have to be taking a bullet for Jesus. It's just simply saying, yes, I will to whatever small sacrifice it may seem. I pray, Lord, that you will lead us and guide us. Let us connect the pieces of, of, of the reward that you want to give us. Let us... Let us decreasingly be like the disciples standing there in front of 5,000 and missing the reward of a miracle. Lord, help us to see it in the everyday. In your name I pray. Amen. To find your God-given kingdom purpose at Crosspoint Fellowship, go to cpf.me forward slash top 10.